Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel, coming to you on a very exciting day at Baseball America. It's Prospect Handbook Shipping Day. I'm surprised you could even hear us over the din of Ronnie McCabe's tape gun wrapping up. <laughs> that's it. Wrapping up all of your Prospect Handbooks for shipping to your home, office, bedroom, boudoir. Uh, I want to remind you, you can order the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, along with all of our books, uh, the Directory, the Almanac, the Fantasy Guide. I don't think I ever mentioned the Fantasy Guide because this promo was written in 2011 before we had one, but they're all available at BaseballAmerica.com slash store. That's BaseballAmerica.com slash store. And again, the, the Prospect Handbook already shipping. Uh, if you haven't already ordered, what are you waiting for? You can also order by calling 800-845-2726. So we're here to talk Prospect Handbook, JJ, and uh, we can go a little bit lighter to start or we can go a little bit heavier to start. Um, the lighter star would be ranking. You wrote a story about ranking our all-time cover boys. We could start light. That's kind of a fun subject. Uh, and then we can maybe uh, get into the heavier stuff, which is really kind of the defining characteristic of the handbook these days, which is and of, of the rankings, which is our BA grades. Um, that might be a heavy discussion. Let's go heavy. Let's, we can start in on heavy because the, the Baseball America grades, and I'd be interested to get feedback from our listeners after this podcast is over. You can send them in at podcast at baseballamerica.com. You also can just email me at johnmanuel at baseballamerica.com. Uh, I'd love to know people's feedback on the Baseball America grades, or grade slash risk. We just call them BA grades, but there is a risk factor applied to all these players, especially after you get your handbook this year because we've gone a little bit more heavy on the extreme risk factor in this year's handbook. And But, but really, uh, the handbook grades have redefined the handbook rankings in a lot of ways, J.J., because I had this question and answer in the chat today that we did at BaseballAmerica.com. It used to be a 21 to 30 a lot of times would be younger guys. You could Your top 10 would be your top 10. That would just be a ranking of really best overall ceiling and chance to reach that ceiling. Maybe you'd mix in a reliever who you thought was really going to help in the fourth, in the uh, you know, next season um, into that top 10, but not too often. But... Now And then you'd have like some more veteran guys, almost like 4A types who might still have a chance in that 11 to 20. And then the really younger guys and draft guys would be in the 21 to 30. Now it's pretty much just ceiling and risk of, ce- and, and, and risk of reaching that ceiling in the 1 to 20 and 21 to 30s relievers. Because they all have lower ceilings and they're all risky. Oh. And, and that, I think that's a logical extension, but it really does take a little bit of the guesswork out of it um, when you're trying to rank stuff. But generally, most of our 21 to 30s are pretty much full of uh, future setup men of America. I would say future setup men, and also that's where you do still see some of the the, the lower-ceiling far-away guys. Like outf- like an outfielder who is a far is far away. And future you, fourth outfielders of fu- America. Right. And, and I think that's actually I think that's an improvement that we've done in the rankings the last couple of years. I agree. In that... The, the reality of it is is that relievers, if you are a minor league reliever, I, I hate to say this to you, if you are pitching relief innings in the minors, you do not have much value to teams as far as other teams until you at least are very close to the big leagues. Yeah. I, that's just the reality. Or of until it. you start a game or two. Right. You know? the, the reality of it is, is that when you talk about a guy who, if you're relieving in A ball, you better have some of the best stuff in the minors, or otherwise you are just another guy until you prove it at higher levels up the uh, up the system. Because, and I, I think that's something that that our rankings reflect is that the the reality of it is is that most of those guys who are going to be the future setup men of America are starting at those levels. Yeah, and, they're, and, and the, the exceptions are in organizations that have tandem starter systems. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, like the Astros did this year. But even uh, those, you treat those all as starters because they're right. They're they're making fourteen starts and not twenty eight. Right. It is. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to see a pitcher as a prospect when his own minor league when his own major league parent organization is not giving him seventy five to one hundred innings in a minor league season. Especially the low minors. Well, it's it's because to, to to get to that many innings, you're gonna have to make some starts. Well, if you're getting that many innings, maybe if you're in again like a where you're getting three innings every three or four days, but it's just it's just so rare. That mo- and most of your big league relievers are failed starters or often converted hitters. So. And, and the other thing with that is is that we see so many stories of 
really middle-of-the-pack, middling starters who do make that move to the pen, and all of a sudden they're very interesting relievers. Right. right. I, I'm no, I mean, both of us have written up many of those guys. I, Michael Marriott, who's in the Royals' top 30 I wrote up this year, is, a, to me, a, a prime example of this. I, I watched that guy as a starter a couple of times uh, when he was an A-ball, and there was nothing there. He Really, what he was at the time was Noel Arguelles' caddy. Noel <laughs> Arguelles started the game, and then he would pitch four or five innings on the back end of Arguelles' start. He goes to the pen, and all of a sudden you see the fastball go, jump up a, a, a solid tick, you know, at least, and all of a sudden his breaking ball is a lot better, and you go, oh, this guy could pitch the, you know, sixth or seventh. That guy, when you are at a a ball, a Class A game, you're going to see, I've asked this question to scouts multiple times, how do you separate out the relievers that you see in A ball? Because you're going to see a guy who throws 92, 93 with some sort of breaking ball most every night. And there's almost, there's, there really is, not almost, there is more velocity in the lower minors than there is in the upper minors. No, absolutely. You go to a AAA game, and you're going to see some relievers come out of the bullpen. I mean, who was the left hand? R.J. Swindle? Oh, yeah. For Durham, who was topping that at 83, 85, and throwing, you know, upper 50s uh, slow curveballs. And, you know, uh, I actually was talking to a scout about who worked out a player in the Dominican this offseason, and he, he thought I would remember the pitcher. He said, like, we had a workout, and we had to bring a pitcher in, and the guy they brought in used to close at Durham, threw a lot of sliders. You remember I said, Winston Abreu? He goes, yes, Winston Abreu. I covered him in making. Yeah, I said, Winston Abreu still pitching in winter ball. And, uh, you know, Caribbean series is going on right now. And I don't, I don't know if Winston Abreu is in it or not, but the guy still throws a slider. And he's very useful. That's a job he's going to have for a while probably is getting paid to come in and throw that slider against guys you're working out. It was actually, uh, it was a, so I was talking to somebody about uh, Jose Abreu. And so they brought in uh, Winston Abreu to face Jose Abreu, the Cuban slugger, to see how does he do against a close-to-big-league-level slider. And he did pretty well. So um, that is – but Winston Abreu had a long professional career, briefly got to the big leagues, but was basically a reliever in A-ball, in low A. And uh, that's just not a great profile. I always come back to this guy named Jackson Marker. It took me forever to remember. Uh, and I was searching feverishly on my – uh, iPad. Um, Jackson Marker led the minor leagues in saves in 2001 in Hagerstown. He was uh, 22 years old. He had 39 saves. He had a 280 ERA. He didn't strike anybody out. He pitched 61 innings. I did a Giants chat that years like, why isn't this guy in their top prospects? Like, well, minor league reliever. So this is not a new phenomenon. But, it's an old phenomenon. Going back, this is going back several years, but David Cortez, uh, one yeah. year, Odalis Perez, who ended up violating the rule, but he was a reliever in A-ball who ended up being a starter. And again, if you move back to the rotation... Yeah, all bets are off. All bets are off. But Odalis Perez was a setup man for the Macon Braves, and David Cortez was the the closer. And Cortez, I believe, you know, I may be coloring it in my mind now because it was 15 years ago, but I think he went into the All-Star break without having allowed a run yet. He had a monster minor league season, I remember that. And... Shorter... Shorter, thicker guys, right? And shorter, thicker, but it had plus stuff and all. I mean, everything you would want to see as far as that. And he basically was an up and down guy because, again, if you are a even a dominant reliever in a ball, that doesn't really add up to a whole lot as far as your chances of being a big league uh, success. You know, Dallas is only thirty five years old. I'm surprised there hasn't been a Dallas Perez comeback attempt this off season. What have we got? The Mark Mulder? Yeah. Isn't there some other really random comeback attempt I saw this off season? There was. I, I'm trying, but I can't remember the Tomo Oka. Yeah, Tomo Oka that, coming back as a knuckleballer. That's, that's about right. as random as it gets. But yeah, Dallas Perez uh, relieving and making in 1997 as a 19 year old, but went back into starting in 1998. Big leagues in 1999. He, he, he didn't. He couldn't fit in the rotation because it was Rob Bell, Bruce Chen, Jason Marquis. Jimmy Osting, Jason Scheel, who did make the big leagues. Yeah. And uh, late in the season, the best of them all, Luis Rivera. Nice, that's right. Traded to the net in the, uh, the Orioles, Orioles and then yeah. got hurt. Uh, and if you said, like, Jason Marquis and Bruce Chen have had lengthy, lengthy big league careers, they did not compare. I mean, to Luis Rivera. To Luis Rivera. Chen was the pitcher of the year in that league, but Rivera came up in the season and was just absolutely filthy. Yeah, he was he was supposed to be uh, pretty dirty. Uh, I never saw him pitch, but I think uh, I think he was number one or number two in a Royals not Royals in an Orioles. Orioles prospect list, uh, right ahead of or right behind Ed Rogers back in those days. So 
Orioles fans, you think you've had a bad in the recent years until the last two. Think back to the Ed Rogers, Luis Rivera days when all your eggs were in the Ed Rogers basket. That was, those, those were the bad days. Um, but relievers, the reason we start off talking about relievers and, and these rankings is, you know, we, we use a 2080 scale, really more like a 35 or 40 to 80 scale, basically, to, to be in this book. We, we, yeah, we only, we write at 900. Yeah, there are no 20s in this book, thank God, or 30s. There was almost a 35 this year, but we decided to get rid of the 35 grade altogether. And we might get rid of the 80 grade next year because it really, all these guys are kind of scrunched in between. And we've given 180 in three years of the BA grades. And it wasn't a Mike Trout. Probably should have we're been. We're not going to get Bryce rid Harper. of the 80, but we're, we'll still keep it locked up in a, a special vault. If Mike Trout, like, uh, uh, you know, mutates into uh, two Mike Trouts, then maybe, like, younger Mike Trout. I, I, I will I'll say right now, I could imagine Byron Buxton having a season this year where somehow if he still had prospect eligibility at the end of the year. Right. I don't think it's likely, but if, if Byron Buxton goes out and effectively is better than he was last year in yeah. double-A and triple-A. So he's basically last power, year with more power, yeah. If he does that, he's a 75 to... now. It would be hard to say if he, if he basically was our minor league player of the year again and he's already shown power at that point, I could see 80. You're probably right. You're probably right. We still have, we, but we have 75 and 80 for franchise players, number one starters, guys like Miguel Cabrera, Clayton Kershaw, David Price, Mike Trout. I don't think anyone's going to question those guys. Talk about franchise player. The only one of those guys I just mentioned who's questionable is David Price. But even as a then, franchise player, but I still think he's a number one. I think he's a right. true and number one starter. The, the only difference between him, really, and these other guys we're talking about, and Trout's weird to say this, but Trout's had two. Hall of Fame years already. Right. I mean, but the other guys on this just have a longer track record. Right. Like, David Price has had a year that puts him in the same conversation with Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw's had multiple years like that. So if, you th- if we think a prospect's going to turn into a player like that, he gets a 75 or an 80. Uh, 65 or a 70, number two starters, perennial mm-hmm. all-stars in the mold of Adrian Beltre, John Lester, Yadier Molina. You know, Adrian Beltre in his best years is a 70. He's in the clutch of best players in baseball. In his lesser years, he's a 65, which means he's just one of the best third basemen in baseball. Same thing, uh, John Lester to me is more of a 65 than a 70, but he's like a, he's had like 60 regular seasons and he had a 70 World Series. You know, he was the number one starter on a championship team this year. In the postseason, his regular season, he still hasn't been quite as good as he was uh, two years ago, three years ago. And that 2012 yeah. season still sticks out a little bit for Lester for me to call him a 70. But again, we're, you're talking about uh, the, what, what is the profile? Number one starter on a championship team. John Lester is pretty close to that profile. He's close, so, but I'd still I'd, I'd say he's more of like a classic number two. But yes, yeah, so. and that's the thing we always we've talked about this a yeah. thousand times before. But there aren't thirty number one starters. Right. There may be ten. There are thirty opening day starters. There are not thirty number ones. And and with that, the it's not coming just from us. Scouts are very. You know, we always get the question, is, could this guy be a number one? And I, I really think our default answer on that is is generally no. We don't, <laughs> it's like, it's not that it's not possible, but what you're asking, part of being a number one is that exceptional command. Right. And the best way to put it is, is you don't ever see that in the minor leagues, and it's so hard to project that. When you say... Hey, when you say we're going to project that this guy is going to have plus plus command, well, right. how do you project that? Because that's that's something that you, when you talk to scouts, they're like it's that's almost impossible to project. And uh, I mean, I, that that to me also kind of dovetails into this year's uh, draft, where we talk about this, and you and I have talked about this a lot. With what's the difference between uh, Jeff Hoffman of East Carolina and Carlos Rodon? Carlos Rodon does have now; he has shown especially in that start against Cuba last year. But in the second half of each of his college seasons, he's shown you present major league average control. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd say command. He might have shown you that. He, I, I thought he did. I'm not a scout. Talked to enough scouts. I haven't asked him for his grade of his fastball command from that Cuba start, but he put it where he wanted it. He was in total command. The quote that I had, uh, I, you know, to, uh, I, I don't even know if I used it or not, was that, any hitter in the world would have had a hard time with him that night. You did use it. Uh, did I use yeah. that in the All-America team? I mean, that's that says it all. He had present major league command that night. But that's then you a, hit that's the key a, thing that night. Yeah, that's that night. Right, that's right. It, it, doing it consistently every night, 33 times a year, 
That's that's a very that's, different deal. That's the thing. You you can see at a minor league ballpark, the perfect night you can see a top pitching prospect show you everything. Yeah. He he can show you plus command on a night. But it's very rare that you ever see a pitching prospect in the minors who does that multiple starts in a row. And again, I don't, I mean. And when they a, do, they go to the major leagues. Right. <laughs> I mean, you should. Because the reality of it is, this, and again, I, I'll back this up a little bit. I know this is the, the Baseball America podcast. Our listeners, I, I won't, I'll do a very short version of it for someone. But we do want to make sure that people do understand. We're talking about the difference between control and command. Control is your throwing strikes. Mm-hmm. Command is your hitting the spot. And put it this way. Here's a great illustration of it. Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee is almost, if you're talking a major league starter in the last 10 years, not named Maddox, even in the last 10 years, including Maddox, mm-hmm. if, you're put, if, you're, if you're of the belief, like a lot of scouts are, you're talking about there's one guy who's an 80 command, you might have been Cliff Lee as that one guy. I mean, I don't know how he would, I haven't asked that question, but right. to me, like Roy Halladay, Cliff Lee, Maddox would have been in that discussion. Maddox is the eighty. I mean, there's like, but not in his yeah. late career. It was yeah. But I'm saying, but in, but yeah, in, in his prime, peak, in his prime, that's the, he's, that's the, that's the, that's the could be the ninety. Exactly. He, absolutely. He's the he's the point three percent. But Cliff Lee was four point two walks per nine in the minor leagues. That's what I'm. My, my that's point. exactly what JJ's talking about. My point is, is that you cannot, in any way, shape, or form, if you tell me that you can see in a twenty year old, oh yeah, that guy's going to have plus plus command. I, I I want to talk to you and, ha- and have explained some way how you understand that, or or even even if you can't explain it, I would love to hear you know. Hey, okay, well tell me. Let's just look at it now. Tell me three guys now, and let's look at it five right. years from now. Because uh, again, it's such a I, just doing this thing when we go to the light version of this, talking about covers and all. Josh Beckett, Josh Beckett was at the time. If you said, draw me up. A hard-throwing, right-handed pitch, right-handed pitching prospect. Absolutely hard to do better than that. Absolutely, that's why his contract was a record for a high school pitching prospect for Our, so long. That being said, there has been that 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 last step. He's been very good, but for the majority of his career, it's hard to say that he's been there where you want to as a true number one. Uh, I'll give I'll give another guy, Homer Bailey, who. You know, was right at the top of our list for multiple years there. Daddy, Homer. (laughs) I always think that. And he's, you're seeing flashes of it now. He's had two no-hitters. Right. On his best night, he's every bit of a number one. He's very similar to me to Josh Beckett. And you you don't think about it that way, but but his career has been similar. and And with Bailey, you are seeing kind of steady, better, 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 better. That being said... We're now, what, five years into his big league career? He's a free agent then in 2014. He's five years into his big league career, and you're still saying, well, it may get there. That's where, again, I come back to, that's the part, it's really hard with pitcher. It's a lot easier with a hitter to throw a 70, you know, to say that this guy, uh, to throw a 75 BA grade than it is a pitcher because it's just, there's so much more that has to happen at the big league level. Right. I mean, Clayton Kershaw was another great example of this. Uh, he was just too good for the minor leagues. So when you see someone exhibiting A-plus stuff and throwing it for strikes, they just don't last in the minor leagues very long. Even a guy that young as Clayton Kershaw, they just spent him to the major leagues. And we'll see. Felix uh, Hernandez. Felix yeah. Hernandez. Another great example. Felix Hernandez flew through the minor leagues. Why did he do that? Because you couldn't find a level in the minor leagues that challenged him. Right, right. So that, and that and uh, that's not usually the case for hitters. But so that, the, the, we're talking about elite, the elite of the elite. Uh, so 65, 70, 75 grades, and the rare 80 grade. That just doesn't happen too often in the handbook. So um, there are a lot of 55s and 60s in the book. Oh, for, by the way, I was going to interject. 175 in the book this year. Yeah, I think we, everyone knows who yeah, Everyone is. knows who that is, Byron Buxton. But the, that, we were saying, like, because we, we got a question in the chat today. said, how can you say a number two is a 70 and then a, num, you know, and a 75 is a, a potential Hall of Famer? And it's like, well, because... Like we talk about That's with the difference. this, that there are a lot more. There aren't many seventies in the book, but there are a lot more seventies every year in the book. Than there are seventy fives. This is as you go down the level. We've had one eighty in three years that we've done BA. Yeah, grades. not too many seventy fives. I mean, like Matt Probably. Moore, Mike Trout, Dylan Bundy. This year, Byron Buxton. That might be it. That might be it. Again, that's like we're talking like five, six, seven in three years at seventy five. We've probably had. 25, 30, 70s. 
Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. if you go down, like, think of this. This isn't a bell curve. When you get down to 40s, if you wanted to, we could write up 2,000 40s. Right. I mean, that, that's probably too much, but... 40 is a player with swingman or utility slash backup catcher upside or a same side relief specialist. And I think that the key there is utility upside. A guy whose best case scenario is uh, a 200 at bat versatile utility man. I mean, like, I don't even know. Like, like, who's an example of that? Like, because I used Robert Andino. Is that the, like, that was probably the best case. I mean, but he was, he, even he was a, Semi-regular one year for the Orioles, although he was a horrible offense, uh, a horrible regular. Right, I'm horrible. trying to think. I'm having, sc- having to scan well, through the, uh, the, think of recent Astros, like, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, well, Mark, I mean, like. Uh, Johnny Paredes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Johnny Paredes. Um, I mean, he, there was thought that there was more upside with him there. Like, Brandon Barnes, to me, is a 40. The guy they just had in the big leagues. I mean, he played center field to an acceptable level. For a team that was trying to lose games, no other way to put it, they were trying to lose. They succeeded in that try. And so he could make the occasional highlight outfield dive, and he was a well below average major league hitter. That's a 40. You know, he's a fifth outfielder on a championship team, if he's on a championship team at all. This leads into kind of the discussion, like, because we, we had a lot of talking about figuring out how we, because we've, every year with the BA grades, we'd love to have them be completely consistent, but we try to improve them every year. We try right. to make sure that they're accurate every year. And we've had a lot of talk, much more about the 40s, between what's a 40, what's a 45, what's a 50. Yep. There's a lot more discussion we have every year on that than there is about what's a 75. The 75... That's easier. The better the player is, the easier it is to write about. The, the, the way down. I can describe you just described the 40 is a guy who, if you're starting a 40, you're saying something went horribly wrong. Correct. If you're starting a 45, there are 45s that start. There are multiple guys who are true 45s by what we're talking about here yes. who start every year in the big leagues. The best way to describe it is is a 45 who's starting is a guy who there's a couple of things that almost always stand out about him. One, they're inexpensive. That's a guy you, yes. you never are paying a lot of money. Yeah, for a guy who's starting, yes. Two, it's a guy who you don't want to be starting him most of the time. But, okay, we have other problems. He's basically a guy who doesn't profile. That's my shorthand. For a guy who does not profile is a 45 uh, and who's a regular. For example, uh, one of my all-time favorites, Ryan Garko, goes and starts on the 2007 Cleveland Indians. Had a decent year. It was the best year of his career. He, hit, he did hit 21 home runs. That was in a very offensive era. 21 home runs in 2013 would have been probably solid average mm-hmm. for a Major League First Baseman. At that time, I'm pretty sure it was below average. But on that team, he was the best they had at first base. He did bring a little bit of power, competitive at bats. He was a 45. That was his peak of his career. That's to me. So he didn't have really enough power to really profile as a big league first baseman. I'll give you another one of your guys. Okay, Doug Mankiewicz. Doug Mankiewicz didn't. Yeah, he he was more of a again. I think he might have been more of a 50 because he did hit for such high average. But and he, he was consistent, and he was a good defender. He did enough around the right. edges. Right, I was going to say, he's on that borderline, but you also could argue that he's a guy, again, yeah. really what it comes back to, I, I throw out as another 45 who's now around now is Emilio Bonifacio. Emilio Bonifacio is a guy who, in an ideal situation, he is gets it, 300 at-bats for right. you playing four different positions. I think the main reason that Emilio Bonifacio is a 45 and not a 50 is that he's not good enough defensively at second base. If he... Played second base to an acceptable degree, he would be an everyday second right. baseman. But he's not. But he doesn't. So because of that, he ends up being a 45. Correct. That's that gradation of 45. There's Correct. A, there are a lot of – you can think of it – I know there's a lot of things. Okay, if a guy's not a 50, then he's not a reg, big league regular. That's really what this – what we've tried to refine it down to is, is, no, there are a good number of 45s who are starting in the big leagues, and every team, yep. every single team in baseball – has 45 on yep. their big league roster. And a so lot of them are very useful players. So when you see 45 in here, that doesn't mean, again, because and we this is not OFP, but that does not mean that we're not saying this guy's probably not a big leaguer. Right. What we're saying is is you have to have a realistic understanding of what this guy, how this guy is going to contribute. And in most cases, how he's going to contribute is... In a more of a complementary role. Exactly. That's that's perfectly. And a peak of a forty-five, though a forty-five in his best year, could end up being a guy who is a you know an okay regular. 
But you probably are still looking to replace them. Exactly. And like you said, also, when he gets expensive, you're probably definitely looking to replace them. So just for example, again, the pitchers I put as 45s in this year's book are guys like a Matt Greer. That's almost like high for Matt Greer. Kevin Kevin Correa. Kevin Correa is not good, but he's also not that bad. In his best years, he eats up a lot of innings. And there's value in that. So his two best seasons over a full year, 198 innings for the Padres in 2009, 185 innings for the Twins in 2013. Both those years, like a 97 ERA plus, you know, modest strikeout numbers, you know, and, 6.5. And for his career, it's an 89 ERA plus, which right. is really a fifth starter can be a 45. Right. It's, it's on that cusp. It's on that cusp. So in his, in his best years... Kevin Correa is probably a fourth starter on a playoff team. You wouldn't think that, but I do think that's about what but, a fourth starter on a playoff he, team is. And if he is, then he's a 50. But, yeah, in his best years, he has that. He's, he's like that 45, 50. Right. And, that's and where, when you have the strikeout rate of 5.8 per nine, you're that makes you a 45. That to me, yep. that makes you a yep. 45. Because if he had the same kind of ERA, if he had the same kind of production over the course of his career, but he was a little bit more of a strikeout guy, a little bit more of a hard thrower, we'd probably put him as a 50 in the book. But Kevin Correa never really a big time power on. Again, the difference, as we cite, as you quote in here, when you get the fifty, Mike Leake's really more of a fifty. Yeah, uh, so that, that that's right. Because Mike use... Leake is just that touch better on a on a year in year out basis. And I know obviously they're at different points in their career, right? But Mike Leake is a guy who realistically, as long as Mike Leake's not, you're not looking to replace Mike Leake in any way, shape, or form. Unless he starts costing a lot of money, yeah. And if he uh, for Evan Correa, you're probably looking like okay, really. In an ideal situation, you're saying, especially he's at the expensive portion of his career. There's always a need for pitching, but you really would like to have someone better pitching ahead of him, right? I, I do think a big part of it again is uh, with those pitchers, the 45 versus the 50 is. Would you rather have this guy? Would you, do you want this guy to start Game Four of a playoff series for you or not? And if you don't think this guy's a playoff starter, then he's probably a 45. And if you think he does have a chance to start a playoff game for you, he's probably a 50. And this brings it back, though, to the reliever thing, which yes. is just that most relievers are 40. I mean, it, oh, we, yeah. most relievers are 45, even solid relievers. Because, again, what we've seen, and, we're, and again, we've been refining this year by year, but what you do see is that if you compared how teams value a four-slash-five starter right. to a setup man, right. They're really saying, well, we can find the setup, man. Scott Feldman is a fourth starter, I think, at best. Yes. He just got a $10 million contract per annually, three years, $30 million. Mm-hmm. Boone Logan is a setup man. Now, he's a left-on-left specialist. He's a unique kind of setup man. Um, I was surprised by the contract he got from the Rockies. But what did he get, three years, $18 million? Right. So those two and, guys. And he's one of the few believers who's even gotten three years. This right. Year. So it was So that just tells you the difference to me. Scott Feldman's not even like the best fourth starter, but he was. There was a, supply, a low supply and a high demand. He gets ten million dollars a year. What, I mean, what would you consider Jason Hamill at this point? Jason Hamill is a little bit better, I think, than Scott Feldman. Well, I mean, contract-wise, he got a, you know he got a lot worse. But he's hurt. Yeah. That's that's why. Right. And I think there's injury injury lesson there. I mean, like Matt Greer for me. That's who I put as the 45. He's never been a closer. He has six career saves. He led the league in appearances twice uh, with the Twins, so he was durable. Uh, his ERA plus, I think, is a little high at 120, a little bit higher than you might think because there's a couple well, of Well, but relievers, the 120 for a reliever right. is, a, is average right. at best. Right, and then six strikeouts per nine, three walks. I mean, he just, he's just Johnny Average middle reliever to me, and he's been durable. He's done it for a decade. Kent State represent, you know, good for Matt Guerrero, part of the – Kent State pitching family, but to me he encapsulates really what a 45 is as far as a, a, a relief pitcher. So I liked him as a because uh, if you have a minor league prospect, if you're an organization, you have a prospect that has a durable, reliable middle relief career like Matt Guerrero. There is value in that, and a guy who's a 45, especially if you're if a Matt Guerrero in your minor league system has done it in Double A AA and Triple A, maybe for 15, 20 outings of the big leagues in September. I wouldn't be embarrassed to have that guy in my top ten prospects. I'd rather have ten guys better than him. Mm-hmm. But if you tell me a guy who's going to be a consistent middle reliever for a decade, like Matt Greer basically has been, then there's value in that. And that as a prospect, that does have some value. But I think that, like you said, 
teams do not see that as valuable. And our, this is a way that our rankings have started to reflect that. Uh, looking, I, I just picked a team at random. Looking at the Braves list, Sean Gil Martin, number ten on their list. You know, we'll give away a couple little, prior to the trade, obviously prior to the trade. But you know, because he's obviously been traded to the you know Twins at this point. But he was you know, prior to the trade, forty-five media. He's number ten. Realistically, at this point with Sean Gil Martin, if you get a anything better than a number five starter out of him. I, yeah, know. I mean, his peak to me is going to be like a Scott Diamond 2012 year, which is why it's perfect that the Twins went and got him. I mean, right, that's, the Twins have made this emphasis on going to get more power arms. And, you and know, then they went and got Sean. And they went and got Sean Gilmartin. It kind of made me chuckle. Hey, I love, I love you, but, Twins, but uh, that was that was such a perfect Twins acquisition. It made me laugh. But to put it in comparison, though, Shea Simmons, number 16 in the Braves system, who could probably on his knees maybe throw harder than uh, than Sean Gilmartin. It, it would be seems close. that way. You know, he, he touched 100. You know, he's got electric stuff. He looks like he's from his knees all the time. What is yeah, he, 5'9"? Yeah, he is, he is a, a short. I'm sure Say Simmons has never heard that joke ever. But um, he's a 45 medium. Yeah. This is, again, what we're trying to do here is is the point of the BA grades is compared. For one thing, what you can tell by that is, is that, again, Gilmartin's been traded since then. But there's not a whole lot of difference, for one right. thing we're saying, between number 10 and 16 on this list. If you say, how dare you have him 10, I would put him 16, and I would put Simmons at 10, we're saying, that's not that's debatable. Exactly. I mean, we're saying because they've got the same grade. That's another thing I like about the grades is that they they do present the fact that this is not cut and dry. This is baseball. This is all about probabilities. That's right. Because that, if the, <laughs> we've both have been doing this long enough to know, I, again, I'll give Byron Buxton as an example. Byron Buxton right now, is to me as when you talk about probabilities, he's as surefire the probability that he will be a productive big leaguer as anyone I can think of in the minors. Because you see all the things that he presently does, not projection. Right. Presently, he should be a above average defensive center fielder yep. with a plus arm. He doesn't have to develop that, it's there. There's no projection on three of his tools. The he's got to run. Yeah, the arm, the speed, the defense. There's no projection there. So. When it comes to the bat, that was one of the things that was fun about doing this list of the ranking them of all time. You may think that you've got it nailed. I, I can tell you, having from talking to scouts who do this, you know, every day also, and there are players that you could ask, well, why did that guy bust? And sometimes the answer is, you know, I don't know. Yep. Jeremy Hermida, who was a cover boy for us, Jeremy Hermida in the minors, going on the way up. Controlled the strike zone. Yeah, he checked every box. Hit for average. Showed developing power and the power. And the thing about it is the power arrived. He had a year as as a twenty three year old in the big leagues where the power was there. You know, it it all was there. He slugged. I mean, his twenty his age twenty three season in the big leagues was one that you would say, "Wow, this guy's going to be a star." And as a twenty seven year old, he couldn't hold a big league job. It's amazing to me how Jeremy Hermida's career went. Um, you know, you kind of half expect to find, to read, like, that there was some off-the-field problem that we don't know yeah, about. We're, we, that's what I always come back to. We're also, we're dealing with humans. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, these aren't, this, it's not robotic. I mean, so the reality of it is is that you do never know, not just injuries, but, uh, again, and I've asked people, like, what happened there? And I've never gotten a good answer on that. I've never gotten a good answer on Hermit either. I've like, asked that Delman Young is, I mean, Delmon Young is one, you know, he also ranked low, poorly on our... Delmon, what happened to you? But Delmon Turn Young, around. it's easy to answer. Yes, Delmon's now working on the rotating enterprise restaurant right yes. now. That's, that's, a, yeah, joke that's from, a joke JJ and I have made too, too many times in the last uh, 12 years, 11 years, whatever it is, but... Yes, it's a Bill Shatner uh, SNL joke, so but, very long ago. But but Delmon is not nearly as athletic as he was coming up. And that made a... When you go from being... Also an bad, impact bad person. <laughs> yes. You, but when you go from being an impact defender, you know, a guy who had a chance to be a very, like, a, a, a plus in right field... Yeah, he was a profile right fielder before, to being, early career, and to, then he became a profile a who, DH. I was going to say, to being a guy who you can't feel comfortable putting in left... Yeah, he became a profile DH who, could, who doesn't hit enough. I mean, that's, that's really a... You know, and it's also, a brutal again, and again, with him, there are guys who they have trouble with, you know, their, their plate discipline shows signs it needs to improve, and it does. There's other guys that never does. Delmon Young is an example of a guy that never does. But 
it, again, it was useful. There's a story up today, you know, wrote about ranking our BA cover subjects, you know, of our prospect handbooks. And one of the things that stood out was I liked the fact that Delman Young and Jeremy Hermita were there right together. The thing that jumps out is, is that you may think, okay, well, it's, you know, well, you can look at it. It's the strike. He didn't walk and he struck out a lot. Right. And then you have Jeremy Hermita right by him and you say, he didn't strike out a whole lot and he walked a lot. Right. It's not as simple as that. And when he got to the big leagues, he wasn't like overly passive. It was like two to one strikeout to walk his first full year, and he had an eight seventy OPS that year. And there were no giant red flags, but his walk rate stagnated. His strikeout rate kept going up. His contact yeah. rate went down. It's, it's amazing. What's no, fascinating is, is that when he went back to the minors, you know, when he basically had effectively failed, two? and it was back was that in major the, league three, yeah, three, I think it's okay. three. But you know, he had, when he had failed, and he was back in the minors. All of a sudden, then he was a, what would look like a hacker who who struck out a whole lot more than he walked. Yeah, last year in Columbus, he still. Uh, I mean, I think he signed in Korea or Japan this offseason. Yeah, I know he Makes signed sense. overseas, but I mean, two forty seven, three sixty five, four sixteen. Still, just twenty nine years old. I mean, but just Done. just amazing. It's 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 Done. amazing. His his two thousand five year in Carolina, the year before we put him on the cover. I mean, uh, nine seventy five OPS for the Mudcats. 457 on base, and he was hitting for power. He was athletic. He was How many strikeouts to walk that? One, 111 walks and 89 strikeouts. Like, there's, it's yeah, again, really hard to believe. There's nothing about that that would say, you know, and again, this is where scouting comes in, but, yeah, I I haven't talked to a guy who said, yeah, I, I was never a Hermita believer. Yeah. Uh, it's not one of those guys. I mean, again, pitching, pitching, it's always easier to kind of write because guys get hurt, their velocity, they lose confidence, right. there's all these kind of things. It's really weird when you see a hitter have it and then just lose it. Somewhere out there, there's a tape of George Brett talking about how much he likes Jeremy Hermita in between talking about whether he's fouled himself in the, <laughs> in the hotel lobby because that was the year where the uh, it was a 2002 draft where the Royals had what I think the ninth pick and they wound up taking Zach Greinke, also a Clemson signee, as was Jeremy Hermita. But like there was a big stir that year with Jeremy Hermita. Really, we had him I think as a supplemental draft pick coming into the draft coming into the year, and he got off to this great start, and everybody went crazy when George Brett dropped in to go see him and then told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, that's the best young hitter I've seen in years. I mean, like, that's a pretty good stamp of approval. Mm -hmm. So um, that list was fun, J.J., because a lot of these other guys would have gotten pretty lofty grades. And you mentioned Josh Beckett. Um, I think he would have been 75. I think he would have been probably a 75. Bryce Harper got an 80. He was in the the, uh, grade era. Joe Maurer. I think he would have been an 80. You know, Joe Maurer might have been the first year, but I bet you we would have adjusted him down after him. Because remember, he was in the handbook a second time after he had 109 right. big league at bats and then hurt his knee in the major leagues. Right. I bet you we would have dinged him we on that. We would have dinged him on that. The risk would have gone up. And maybe because of well, the more questions of, okay, he's going to be able to stay at catcher exactly. long term. But before the injury that yes. year, I think he'd have been an 80. But he was our minor league player of the year. And, you know, <laughs> even then, I, I do wonder because he had, nine, he had yeah. nine home runs that year. So Maybe not. I wonder if he would have gotten the 80. But he, he definitely thought he was kind of the perfect prospect. And we were right. I mean, the guy won three batting champions. He's, you know, my son is obsessed with Erling Lombardi because of our Baseball America National Hall of Fame uh, almanac. Uh, I, I am obsessed. Your, your, your son and I share that obsession. <laughs> he does because if you mention Erling Lombardi, I've shown him the picture. He goes, that's the guy who can hold seven balls at one time. Please, please tell me you have <laughs> given him the – you made sure that he reads the Bill James Baseball Historical well, Abstract. Like seven pages on early embargo. Not yet, but yeah, you that, have to. that will happen. Yes, that will happen. But he he loves the, the the page in the in the book. But um, so every time I'm always like, well, imagine early Lombardi, only with better defense and can move and one and, and could get to first base in less than ten seconds. Exactly. And I said, and then you have Joe. I said, well, that's Joe Mauer. You're getting to see a, almost really almost a better version of Erling no, Lombardi with smaller you, with smaller hands. Yes, but and a better smaller version nose. of Erling Lombardi. Smaller nose, smaller hands. I, I do love the point in the Bill James historical after he's talking about like if the ball got by Lombardi, it wasn't a question of yeah. whether you were going to get to the next base. It was, it was a question of, but yeah, it was a question of will he make it all the way around. <laughs> yeah. And that, that you know, early Lombardi was in the wrong time because back then no one thought about when they built the ballpark. Ah, I don't care how close <laughs> or how far the fans are from the action. Fans, who gives a damn about fans? Those cranks. I mean, that's basically what it was like. So, yeah, he loves he loves Lombardi. So, I we, think we would have given him a seventy. We, we we have skipped over here. So that's the forty-five and fifty. Yeah, the, the which... meat of the book is the forty-five, fifty, and the fifty-five, sixty. The fifty-five, sixty. We I, I don't think we redefined that this year. 
first division regulars and number three starters and elite closers. Alvis Andrews, to me, is a 55. If you don't think he's a first division starter or shortstop, you're kidding yourself. I mean, he is. Mm -hmm. That just tells you a little bit more about shortstop offense and our expectations of it. But there are a lot of Elvis Andrews haters out there. I don't love him, but what he is is a first division shortstop. Mm -hmm. Um, Jay Bruce, Craig Kimbrell, Justin Masterson, all these guys are guys who have a hickey, except for Kimbrell, where his hickey is that he's a closer. His hickey is that he's a closer, so you say. All the rest of them. I would say, I mean, he's... The elitist of elite closers. I mean, again, now that Mariano Rivera is right. Mariano, if we're gonna if you're gonna give a sixty to a closer, it's Mariano Rivera. He's the elite he might young get, closer. Mariano Rivera is a he, sixty-five he, or seven. I was about to say he's a seventy. Yeah. He breaks the scale. And I mean, like Aroldis Chapman, we'd probably give Aroldis Chapman a sixty as well. I mean, I'm sure his right. OFP is higher, but that's not what the BA grade is. But you know, we could have put Aroldis Chapman there. To me, Craig Kimbrell has been more dominant than Chapman. That's why oh, I used him as the, yeah. as the example. He's had, Kim, Kimbrell's had the last two years like that. Chapman had a year, right. two, one a year like that. And they're so rare to have consistent closers. And the other thing is that Chapman, they're both extremely rare birds. I mean, that's the thing. A, a closer, it's just very hard to project. But when you say elite closers, the thing that comes back to those is how many elite closers are in the game right we now? Just, We're talking about number one starters. We named, it's much the same thing. We, I think it's actually more rare. We named two of the three. To me, Joe Nathan's the only other one. Who else is like a truly, would you call Jonathan Papelbon an elite closer? Not anymore? at this point. Not a, at one I, point, I maybe either. he was. But maybe. I mean, a guy, and to me, as someone who has to hold that closer job for two, three, four years, that just doesn't happen not, very not often hold anymore. It, but hold it and thrive in it. Thrive in it. Like, there's holding it. Like, you can say Greg Holland had an elite closer year last year. Anybody can just take he, the, the safe chance. Right. The holding the safe chance is the key. And, and again, it's what makes Mariano Rivera so truly unique is, is you had a guy who did it right. for almost 20 years, and we'll, year in, year out. And, and Sergio Romo is now getting to that. It's been two years now that he's been the Giants' closer. And he did it in the crucible of the postseason. We would never have given Sergio Romo a 60. i tell you that. <laughs> no. and, I, and I, I will never be ashamed of missing on a Sergio Romo. I mean, like, we ranked him. I, I love talking to a scout who saw him as an amateur said he's the same guy as an amateur as he is now. This is what makes this all so fascinating. It's fun. Is because if you said, okay, and I asked another question, I said, so explain to me what it is about this undersized pitcher who has good, but not like stuff that you know jumps out where you say this is, he said, I mean, it's feel for pitching, it's makeup, it's all these things that, for the lack of a better word, are unquantifiable in many ways. Right. You scout them, you project on them, but you never can be certain. Yeah, I mean, Sergio Romo is 30 years old. He's listed at 5'10". He has had he has a career 10 strikeouts per nine, 1.8 walks. Well, he has all the things that you would you, you, you that profile you as a great major league relief pitcher. He probably would have been a 45 at best when we. I don't think we ever would have projected him as well, more than a middle reliever. Do do remember it, it's it's worth kind of remembering with this. Also talking to scouts like so. I mean, did he stand out at that point? 28th round pick. He said no. He was twenty eighth or thirty second. I always thought he was a thirty second round pick. Says twenty eighth and B. At least we're looking on the B ref page. But yeah, okay. Um, but twenty eighth round pick. That was of course a year where the Giants famously he did not pick until the fourth round. They still got three future big leaguers. Him being the best one. Um, but twenty eighth round pick. And talking to this scout who again saw him when he was still you know an amateur. He went undrafted one year and really was about to. Get out of the game. But I can say, yeah, pack it up and pack, and pack it, it in. And say, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm done with this. And it's like, no, no, no. You know, a couple of scouts helped him kind of get into a, uh, a JUCO, and and that really made the difference as he went on to become a, uh, you know, a, you know, a, a World Series, uh, you know, champion closer. Yeah, one of the best Division Two draft picks in the big leagues right and now. And he did rank number ten in the. Uh, and I, what I like better is that the year before he was number twenty-eight. He was in the, he was in our list the year before at number twenty-eight. Um, before he ever made it to the major league, so you know, the Giants knew they had something. I don't even think they knew what they had. Um, and and again, we don't know. <laughs> we just we're making. I wouldn't even say educated guesses, guesses, but we do have a lot of information on these players. But the rankings, I think the grades do, and and profiling these guys. And so I, I think the grades bring some order out of the chaos. I, I, it's hard to keep them very consistent over nine hundred. Guys, we work really hard at it, and the, that was the focus of the last three days of the book. Um, and uh, you know, Clint Longenecker deserves a lot of credit for 
marshalling those forces of basically me, Clint, and Matt Eddy uh, going over like all 900 grades. And we're still not satisfied with all 900 no. of them, but, but the book has to get done. And here it is March, you know, February 1st, and we're shipping the book February 3rd. So I'm glad that we're finally shipping the book. Um, it feels like it takes a long time, but we finished the book at the end of December. Uh, so one month between finishing the book, printing it, proofing it, getting it out, shipping it. The, the best way I can put it is, is I know that people, we, we see it, people love rankings. Yes. Rank, whatever we rank, people love. It, it's it just, you, you know that. That being said, if you ask me what's more valuable in this book, if you had to take one or the other out, if we ranked them in each team in alphabetical order with the BA grades, or we took the BA grades out and had them rankings, I, I think for the for in the grand scheme, because I also think we had a question in the chat asking, this is my first prospect handbook I'm getting. What should I expect? What will I be surprised by? The the key thing about this is is that I hope, and when you get this book, it's something you can enjoy now to get ready for the season. Right. It's something you can use continually through the season. If you go to a minor league game, right. there's a whole lot of value in this because that's why we go 900 deep, is that you're going to have players in that game who are in this book. And it, I, it. I hope that's going to add value to going to that game because you're going to be able to read a report on them. And then the players aren't static. I, read the report and go, okay, is he showing something different than this? Right. I, is I like he throwing it. harder? Is he throwing, you know, is he throwing softer? Is he added a pitch that he didn't have at that point? I like the idea. I love it when scouts tell me that uh, and I have a lot of pro scouts who get the book. I like to say, I don't like to read what you guys write about him before. I like to read it after. So I'll go see a guy. I don't want to go in with a preconceived notion. Well, that makes sense. But they'll go in, they'll see the guy. And I, and I have a couple of pro guys who are two of my better sources in terms of they like to give – they've been very useful over the years of giving me feedback on where we're, where we're on, on it and where we're not. And – I really value that feedback significantly. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And so I like it when the, I, I love to hear one of them this year said, and every time I went to go see this guy and I write down what he was, and I went back in, in my hotel room and pulled out your handbook and that's what he was. And I, so I almost like for the reader to go, you know, enjoy the game, be a fan of the game. Right. I mean, everybody, uh, there are a lot of fans and a lot of our listeners who want to go out there and be scouts on their own and more power to them. It's the 21st century. There's a lot of that going on. But I th- to me, the book is meant to make you enjoy being a baseball fan more. Well, so if I go to if I'm a Twins fan and I go to a Twins far, a minor league game and I see Stuart Turner and I'm like, oh wow! If I go see him and he's in the game and I notice that that game Stuart Turner threw out a guy trying to steal or there weren't any pass balls or wow there were a couple of nice blocks in that, then I go read that Stuart Turner was the most polished college catcher in the draft class and he's a glove over bat catcher. You know, I want it to match up. And if they don't, please let us know. But well, that's that's how I think the book is intended to be used. And the other thing about it is is that, okay, when we get to the midseason, there's trades. Yes. When prospects are involved, not all of them, but a whole lot of them are going to be in this book. That's why we go 900 deep. So Absolutely. it has value at that point. But also, I, I know I personally love pulling out, you know, I almost too much, love pulling out, let's Pull out the 2005 book and flip through it. Okay, right. where were we right? Where were we wrong? Huh, how was that guy then thought of compared to how he's thought of now? Right. And also, not only that, but it also, it. I learn every time I do that from the standpoint of, like, again, writing up Jeremy here made this, like, it was just a good reminder. Guy who had who had more walks than strikeouts in double A while hitting for power, oh, yeah, that's not an absolute slam dunk that this guy's going to be... Or, or Brandon Wood. I mean, Brandon Wood's one of the all-time examples, a guy in 2005 who had more than 100 extra base hits on a year. I mean, it was a historic but, year. And it goes a step further than that. Like, I always thought with Brandon Wood, my takeaway from that was Cal League, be afraid. And I, I, I really did. I took from that, like, Cal League, be afraid. And then I, I took from that when I was just recently doing something. I was like, you know, did we hang on to him as a prospect too long? Did right. we, after that... Not see our in hindsight. Should we have seen signs that you know he's not what we think he is? And then I looked at his couple years after that, and I know it was PCL. I mean, there's again there was qualifiers to it. But that being said, I look back at him. It's like wow, that was a lot louder than I rem- you know. Yeah, he never stopped hitting. He <laughs> not hit, in the minor leagues. In the minor leagues, he hit I, I, to lack of a better everywhere. 
Yeah, you know, he did. I mean, it wasn't something where you say, okay, well, really, we should have understood looking back at it that it really was he was a Cal League creation. And I, because I, there was a part of me that thought that was the case. He had an outstanding year in the Cal League, but I thought, okay, after that. And then you look at what he did, and it's like, after that. It was goes, a historic year. It wasn't just a good Cal League oh, yeah. year. That's the thing. It was historic even And then the he goes Cal to League. Arkansas, which is a very difficult place to hit, 276, 355, 552. He goes to Salt Lake. First year of Salt Lake was, you could see some hiccup, 272, 338, 497. But again, as a middle infielder. Yeah. Then he goes back to Salt Lake and goes 296, 375, 595. And he goes back to Salt Lake and goes 293, 353, 557. There was, again, I learned from that. Going back and reading those reports, it's like, okay, what little signs were there? And you find things from that. But, yeah. And by the way, also a reminder, if you are a Baseball America subscriber, you can go to the Player Finder, type in Brandon Wood, and you can read all those old reports because we've got them up there. Yeah, I mean, that's for subscribers. His career stats, obviously, are Our, The stats are for free, but the scouting reports you can read that we said, what we said back then, every one of those years, is you, know, you, can, you can see it there. So. I knew I didn't remember. I don't even remember my own Baseball America password. <laughs> I never remember my, my login password to BaseballAmerica.com. So, so. But now we need to get on to the second part of it, which is risk. And the risk, you know, what defines a risk factor? Um, and we've talked about adding gradations to our risk factors <laughs> at the back end. We've talked about getting rid of safe because we have, I think, a different definition. of what, What's safe to me is different for some other people in the office. We put a safe on Brandon Compton this year because his ceiling is so low, and I feel like he achieved his ceiling last year. In my opinion, his ceiling is fifth starter, and that's what he did Mm -hmm. effectively for the Pittsburgh Pirates last year. Your viewpoint is safe can only happen to a guy who's already demonstrated at the big league level. Yes. Right. That's And and, and I don't even necessarily disagree with it, but we've talked about maybe changing that to something like very low. Because baseball is not a safe endeavor. Right, but... I, again, and that's true. I mean, again, it says in the book has shown realistic ceiling right. in big leagues. And, but we've talked about maybe changing that because, which I don't agree with. <laughs> right, I know. We, my thought is is that change it to very low, where you can rope in, where it can be some. By the nature of how it is right now, if you are a position player and you are safe, you no longer qualify for the book. Whereas, no, I don't think that's. I don't think that's true. I, I don't. I don't. I think there are going to be position players who are going to get that safe. It's very hard though, because even because. A position player doing something having a good September doesn't necessarily even then. You have to look at it. I mean, September's different baseball. Whereas a reliever can come up and do it for two months and really demonstrate it. The only reason Xander Bogart's got a low and not a safe is because of the question of which position he's going to play. Right. That's it. That's the only question. So he came within a scintilla of safe. Mike Trout was a safe. I think he was. I think he was a safe in one spot and a low in another. And it was supposed to be safe. Right. Yeah. But, um... But no, but that one's a very rare uh, category. It is rare, and I think and it, it should, should be rare. Yeah, it should be rare. So I, that's why I don't have a problem with it being as rare as it is. It has been pointed out that it's so rare, and we should get rid of it. So we, we're, it's under discussion. Low, likely to reach realistic ceilings, certain big league career barring injury. That's a pretty strong designation in and of itself. I'd almost rather have a low than a safe. Because who's really reached their realistic ceiling in the major leagues and is still prospect eligible? Relievers. Freaky guys, <laughs> exactly. Relievers. That's what... The rare, again, the exception was Matt Moore, who had only come up in September. They had the loophole to get him in the playoffs, and then he was an ace in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. he's such an exception. It does take the planets aligning for an exceptional talent to get a safe. That's why I actually think it's more like a guy like a couple of years ago, Lance Lynn, mm-hmm. who had pitched 30-some innings in the big leagues, had done a little starting, a little relief. And also got the extra playoff time, which always helps. Right. So you, get was, an extra, you get to see an extra 18 innings or exactly, something. Exactly, you know, or you know. Brandon Workman in this book. Still eligible for the book by our the way we keep him. And he had not pitched enough. So he, and he was an eighth inning. He pitched the eighth inning in the clinching game in the World Series. That If that's his ceiling... He's he has shown us he can do that. So how is he not safe? Mm-hmm. He's safe to, to, to me. I just made my case. Uh, the defense rests, Your Honor. Um, most guys in this book are high. And the next and most are extreme. And, and that's the change. And, and really what we've... Because, again, what it comes down to, we're not saying this is 10%, you know, you've you got a 90% chance, a 75% chance, a 50 a 25 and a 10 
That's not what we're not breaking it down like that. Right. But in some way, you can say like, if you're an A ball, there are so many different ways, so many different hurdles that can get in your way. Yep. Because for one, you may find at a higher level. There's a whole lot of guys who dominate A ball and then they get to double A and all of a sudden their weaknesses are exposed. You can get hurt. Yeah. You can have you can basically lose it. I mean guys what, what grade would we have given Brandon Wood in two thousand five? After the two thousand five season when he has medium fifty one doubles. That's what I'm saying. He would and he should have been high. Right. But we would probably give him a medium because right. his strikeout rate was the the and he was a middle-of-the-diamond player. Yeah. He was a but, shortstop. But there was concern. Like, if you said, why would he have been medium? He probably would not have gotten high the year he had, but he would have been medium because he had a lot of strikeouts. Right. And there were questions at the time. Like, okay, he's showing enough power to stay at that third base shouldn't be a problem. Right. But he may not stay at shortstop. Correct. So, I mean, like, but, but I'm saying, he would have gotten a pretty high grade, and he probably would have been like a 70 medium mm-hmm. in A ball. And I just think he's another he's a great example of what can trip you up. On the way to A ball, I mean, from A ball to the big leagues, and so really, it's very rare, I think, that someone who's an A ball is going to get uh, less risk than high. Right, it's, and that's what that's again, we see a guy like Byron Buxton who did get less risk than high. Yeah. What it comes back to though is is that with Byron Buxton, the other thing you see so rarely in A ball is a guy who truly is exhibiting. It's not just about he walked a lot. He did. He didn't strike out much. How's he doing that, too? It's polish. And you're seeing it with Buxton. You see, like, wow, his pitch recognition is excellent. His understanding of the strike zone is excellent. I'll go back to what the Giants said about Fred Lewis. They said he accidentally walked a lot in low A. They were right. And that wasn't the right word. But he did, basically, he did not have a polished approach to the plate. He didn't recognize pitches. And if he didn't recognize it, he took it in an A-ball. More often than not, you're gonna, out of the strike that's zone. That's gonna, you're going to succeed doing that. Like... That's that's one of those things that it, it's funny, but again, if you're an A ball, if you're a college guy in A ball with a slider speed bat, but good pitch recognition, you can you you can put up a stat line, yeah, that makes it look like you are really impressive because for one, you are going to see bad breaking balls, right, right. You are going to see breaking balls that you can destroy, and while you will see velocity, if you have an understanding of the strike zone. You will a lot of times be able to look at it like, no, it's out of the zone. Fred Lewis ranked in our Giants' top ten five years in a By row. By the way, wow. Miguel, Miguel Sano, this is his fifth handbook. Yeah, I mean, I think we ran him up to number four the first year he signed Yeah, um, with the Twins. It was not a good Twins farm system when he signed, J.J. But it's he was, a better he was absolutely, hey, looks good at having a number four on that list. But, but no, it I wasn't mean, a good system. But, <laughs> but medium... Medium, still some work to do to turn tools into major league caliber skills. There are a whole lot of really good prospects who are medium because medium effectively means you are right on track. You're we closing just, the gap between potential and production. We just still need to, you, but you've got to demonstrate that you can do it at higher levels right. or you have, really it's one of the two things. Either if you're an A-ball, it's almost like, again, unless you are truly exceptional, you're doing everything right in A-ball. I mean, a or good example is Tommy LaStella. Tommy LaStella is a medium because he's an extreme example of a prospect. He doesn't profile, so he's a 45. But he's a medium because if he stays healthy, we're pretty confident that guy's going to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're not the only ones. I think a lot of scouts are pretty confident that Tommy LaStella is going to hit. Do I think he's going to be an impact player? I don't know. Like I said, he doesn't really profile because usually you want your middle infielders to be a little bit more athletic than Tommy LaStella is. And they always come back to the question, like when you say, you know, still some work to do to turn tools into major league caliber skills. The skill that we'll ne- we do not know if he'll have is can he play second base? Every right. Day? Can he, and and that's really uh, and the other the other reason that he's risky is his injury history is pretty lengthy. I don't believe Tommy Lasell's ever played a hundred games in a season. So I know Dan Ungla was terrible last year. <laughs> I get it that Braves fans would love to see Tommy Lasell sooner than later, but. His career get high in games played is probably this year. I don't know how many he played in the fall league, but he was in the fall league and he played 88 games in the regular season. So asking him to play 162 games in the major leagues, he hasn't shown he could play 100 in the minor leagues yet. So that adds some some risk. Because usually a bat that polished with that kind of performance at double A is not a medium. It's probably going to be a low 
when you hit like that, and but, he has a but, long track record of hitting. But the defense also. The defense and the, the injury risk. And, that's, and again, especially because really, and there's a number of these guys in here, when you talk about don't fit the profile, second baseman who can hit, and there's questions about whether they can play second, that's, that's a, a frightening one. Because that's a tough one. It always comes back to, and if that doesn't work, then what are you going to do? Exactly. It's not, especially if they're at second base because they don't have great arm strength. Like Jeff Kent, be, like Jeff Kent played some third base early career. I always felt like I was always, always. I haven't asked a scout like why didn't he play more third base? Why did he end up at second base where he was more of a liability, more exposed? I guess that he was worse at third base than he was at second. Well, base. I think also those like again, I, I think there are a lot of teams who feel like that third, second base. Is a less de- defensively demanding position, and sure. I mean, again, second base. I've had second baseman tell me, second base, you can just knock it down if you got an arm. You knock it down, you can. The Ricky Weeks corollary, right? And <laughs> and so with that being the case, you put a guy. But if you can't play second base defensively, you're not going to be a utility infielder because right. Even if you can play second base occasionally the as a place- utility infielder, you can't play short. You can't play third. The only place and you can go you, is, is is to uh, first base. Or left field. And and that's not where you want to go. So uh, especially if you're Tommy Lastella and you're five foot nine. So uh, it got to meet him in the fall league, rooting for Tommy Lastella. There's some there's some real but, question marks there. So really again though, what we're trying to do an extreme we had a couple there's a couple of different ways you get an extreme. And we'll try to, you know, kind of wrap uh, yeah, this, this up. But but a couple ways you get an extreme. One is if you have a significant injury history, not that you had an injury, right? But okay, well, actually, I take that back. If you have a shoulder injury and like you're a pitcher and you have not come back from that shoulder injury, yes. you're extreme because the track record on that is such that we want to. You have to. We have to see. Are you going to be? You know, the chance of you reaching your ceiling is questionable at that point. Right. Um, if you, you have concussions, we decided this year. We've seen with concussions. There's a whole lot of guys who have. Never made it back right. from concussions. Concussions, I just made an, I just made a, a command decision, automatic extreme. If, you, if the write-up says you had a concussion this year, whether you're Tommy Joseph or whoever else, you got an extreme. and Because you got to demonstrate that you are fully, that is behind you. We just have seen, it's been nine years since Corey Kosky. We've seen the issues with Justin Morneau. I'm sure there are other ones, but those are the two that jump in my head. Mm-hmm. Ryan Friel. How about the late Ryan Friel? Who had concussions and it looked like had CTE uh, after Not his. Like was diagnosed, yeah, it was yeah. diagnosed after. Well, they, the yeah. autopsy yeah. showed CTE in his brain. I mean, if you have concussion issues, you got an extreme grade. And then, obviously, also, if you are if you were a July two guys signed this year, you're yeah. going to get it. You, uh, if you haven't made it to the states, right? You know, from from if you signed as a 16, 17 year old and have yet to make it to the U.S., you're going to get an extreme because the reality is is that. Every level up the ladder gets you a little closer. Right. Every level up the ladder is also a, it's an opportunity, and it's also a chance for the opponent right. to prove that you aren't able to handle this level. Right. And if you have six or seven of those levels to go, the risk is much higher than if you have two. Like you said, it just goes back to probability. I mean, it just uh, I, I don't know if there were any non any July second guys who didn't get an extreme in the whole book. Uh, any 16-year-olds. I mean, it says... I'm flipping to the Cubs because I, I would but, think that, like, Eloy, if there was going to be someone, it would be someone like... No, nah, he still got an extreme, I believe. Yeah, 55 extreme. Yep. But, like, teenagers in rookie ball or players with significant injury histories, what we should have added... this guy, you know, it's an extreme. Even though he's been in the major leagues. Uh, what we should have thrown in there in the extreme is if you have... Strikeout rate. Right, a strikeout rate or something in the statistical profile that makes you very risky. Um, and striking out if, a lot more than you walk. If you played at Hickory for the Rangers this year, you're extreme. Pretty much. Is there anybody on that? Jorge Alfaro, I think, did not get this. I think he just got he's a high. He's just a high? Yeah, he's a high. He's a high. Um, but, but Nick Williams, extreme. Joey Gallo, extreme. Yeah, most of those guys are going to get Ronald Guzman. All, Ronald Guzman, only yeah, he, a high. he's a little bit more. Uh, Probably best feel for hit uh, on that team. Uh, he only got a high. Lewis Brinson, extreme. Like, if you play, I mean, again, but Lewis that's... Lewis Brinson almost defines extreme. <laughs> yeah, you actually, again, if there was another grade beyond Lewis Brinson, he of the uh, 72 different batting stances last year would... Uh, Joe LeClerc got a high. That surprises me. But, but yeah, but, it, again, if you have a high strikeout rate as a hitter, like an obscenely high one, or as a pitcher, if you don't strike anyone out. Right. And, you're, and you have great, even with great statistical success. If you're a guy... 
Or if you walk a touchdown. Like the one to me was, uh, uh, who was the reliever for the Indians this year? Uh, who uh, In the major leagues or in the no, minor leagues? No, in, in the handbook. There's a reliever for the Indians who's had some, Trey Haley. Trey Haley, uh, he, he walked 39 in 44 innings this past year. <laughs> That's ex- we, gave him, we, got, we gave him a high. I was arguing for an extreme on that one. I think I remember that. I think a 45 extreme would have not put him in the book. Yes, yeah, so, so we had it was too late in the process. So we went, okay, I'll stay off a high. Next year, I'll get a, I'll get him to the extreme. But it, it is an inexact son- process and an inexact science. That said, I like our process. Um, I like that we have some consensus. I like there's also room for individual ranking. But I do think that the the grades and the risk factor. Um, do take a little bit of the individuality out of the rankings. It's very hard to go out and rank. You have to justify rank. it now. You really have to justify it a lot more than you ever had to. And uh, we know it's not 100% consistent, but we feel like it's probably, if it was 85 the first year, it's probably 93, 94, 95 this year, and we're just working well, to make the book better every year. The great thing about it is, is a lot of these same guys, we're the same guys doing it every year, so now I see a guy and I can often think, ah, 50 high. That. Exactly. You've seen that before, so... Um, we do appreciate the uh, download. Hope you uh, have purchased the book. If you have not, once again, 800-845-2726 to order it. Uh, we're on the Eastern Time Zone, if you didn't already know that. So basically 9 to 5 Eastern to order that or anytime at BaseballAmerica.com slash store. So for J.J. Cooper at J.J. Coop 36, I'm John Manuel at John Manuel BA. We'll see you in the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.